And we're back. That's right. This episode of Banter Banter featuring one, two, three different hosts. The first host speaking is Mike. I'm kind of terrified that our podcast is becoming this sort of experimental interpretive art podcast. I'm Manny. Yeah, I don't think interpretive dance will translate well to a audio medium. I'm Aaron. I know, we started this episode off a little bit different than normal. Maybe it's because I've started growing this great handlebar mustache, or I've been looking at 30 acres of land out in the countryside, Colorado. Seattle. And you know how you stock up a great 30 acre set of land? You gotta get some farm equipment. So I trundled myself down. I swear to God, if you've brought us here to talk about Farmville, I'm gonna quit the podcast. The Craigslist. Farmville is not at all the same as really being on a farm. It's the Facebook game equivalent of Wii Bowling. As soon as you got good at Wii Bowling, you felt like you were going to be good at normal bowling. But then you go and do normal bowling, and you just realize, no, no, I'm more terrible than I was when I first started. You mean because that controller is not at all the same weight as a six-pound bowling ball? Which is one of the lightest weights they provide you? Bowling, also known as Manny's favorite sport. (laughs) (laughs) That's just behind dying. (laughs) I think you'd rather would die, actually, than go play bowling ever. Uh, But yes, farm equipment. I don't know where in the world you're going with this, but tell us what kind of farm equipment you're going to populate your new 30-acre property with, with your handlebar mustache. I took a fun trip down the Craigslist rabbit hole. And in my search of specifically farm and garden objects available in the Seattle area, I found a really great thing. And it is called Aleco CTG 71. H728, traditional artificial indoor Christmas holiday tree. That's a lot of letters and numbers, bud. It is. And honestly, I just had to take a pause because here I am. Thought maybe you were accidentally slipping the nuclear launch codes. I'm three-fourths of the way down this page of things like hay balers and Apple wood that's been seasoned and chopped, fake owl hawks. And then I find this indoors fake Christmas tree. And I was just caught off guard for the location it's in on the Craigslist. Don't you mean this fake tree that is used for Christmas indoors? Otherwise, you're insinuating that the Christmas is fake. Fair. It said traditional artificial indoor Christmas holiday tree. I'm taking that out on the wrong party. Maybe it's whoever wrote this Craigslist ad. What wording did they use? 
first used some very interesting photos. One looks like the literal ad from the giant commercial box store company selling tree they bought it from. It is an almost perfectly opened up tree on a white background floating magically. The next photo, my favorite, is a close-up photo of said branches. More like three branches. Super close-up. The executive, the legislative, and the judicial? Exactly. Super-duper close-up. Got them all. Got all three branches. They were fighting, so it's a little blurry during the photo. (laughs) And just like every normal Christmas tree, one of those branches is liable to be broken. Oh dear. I want to laugh and build on that, but... Oh, geez, I'm sorry for the dead possum I threw on the dance floor. <laughs> no, it's just... Ooh, I... Welcome to the Roadkill Cafe. You kill it, we Golly, kill it. Golly, that was salty, wasn't it? It's so out of character for me. Yeah, what kind of Hufflepuff are you? That's true. Sheesh. Welcome to Government Banter, the podcast where we tell you what stocks to invest in before the next governmental collapse. Stonks go up. Money printers go. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes you're a Hufflepuff and someone just wee wees in your pumpkin juice. Why are you drinking pumpkin juice at this time of the year? Are you sure the pumpkin juice isn't the wee wee? <laughs> I've never questioned it. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just trying to get it out of my system now. All of this is going to get cut on the on the cutting room floor. Oh, no, don't cut it. <laughs> this is great. I've lost myself. I've lost <laughs> myself, and I, I don't even think the Craigslist ad is worth the rest of this conversation because that was perfect. <laughs> so just remember, we sell it for less because warehouse box damage, shipping damage, customer returns, and display usage. Are these more tags that they used in their <laughs> Craigslist ad? Let's not worry about that. Let's just accept the fact that they were selling it for $10 and you could only pick it up between 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. Oh, man. Mike, now I feel like I just took a big old duker on your topic. It's fine. I'm just workshopping a topic problem. So is this guy just trying to get rid of his old tree and, like, really trying to toss on the flare? It actually seems to be the manufacturer itself trying to pitch this off they just decided to kind of like slap it all over the place the talking points that make this ad rather entertaining is it has height and assembly information and then it also notates the pine tree decor this christmas tree features ultra realistic pine tips that make this tree look beautiful, ideal for holiday decor. You can avoid the pitfalls of a real tree and have no fallen pine needles, sap, or water on your carpet. Wait, there's much, much more. That's how I felt reading that little bit of it, so. Oh, man. 
just waiting for Sham Wow Guy to pop out from the back of this link and try to get me some more stuff. They're being so technical. I hope it comes with like a full Chilton manual on how to repair and service this Christmas tree. I bet there is, and I would love to read it. I think they would use some very descriptive words. Right, some schematics. I want to go after those fuses like I'm Thanos going after the last Infinity Gem from Vision's forehead. I'm going to pluck this tree right out of your forehead. I don't care what this machinery is for. My Christmas tree needs lights. Well, you know, that fits really well because once he ripped that stone out, all sales are final. I'm sorry, Vision. You've now died. I've done the worst possible thing to you. I've banished you into the realm of serialized TV. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Well played, sir. Well played. You think that's where everyone wound up who was on that planet, though, where the Soul Stone was? I know it was the Mind Stone for Vision, but... I wonder how many of them loved being in Leave It to Beaver. And who can forget the seminal classic, I Groot Lucy. (laughs) The writers had it real easy in that show. (laughs) Well, you know the crossover, I Groot of Lucy. You mean I Groot of Genie? (laughs) Thanks. Got myself confused. I was all up for the bit, and I fumbled it. All right, guys, pull up, pull up, or we'll never get out of this black hole. Unfortunately, neither of those two shows can make it once Woody Woodpecker showed up. Oh, dear God. (laughs) Groot's like, uh, can you not? You know, Groot is one of my favorite parts of the Venn diagram. And on that note, I'm going to take us off of the sidewalk, put us back on the road. So we stop hitting pedestrians. What? I thought we were still talking about trees. Wait, hold on. I think it's the opposite then, Mike. You getting us off the road and putting us back on the sidewalk so we're not hitting pedestrians. No, no, Mr. Mike. <laughs> Let's not be too hasty. <laughs> Arum. You get it? Like that noise that Vin Diesel's car makes when he's living a quarter mile at a time? <laughs> You're doing a bad Nixon. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that tickles my fancy. This is the most ambitious crossover yet. Groot in Middle Earth. Except you wouldn't be able to tell because it'd be so unimpressive. Can you imagine him and Treebeard in a conversation, though? <laughs> It would be the longest conversation ever. It'd be the most confusing conversation ever. Well, it would be like every conversation you listen to with Groot. Like, Okay, final thought, though, and I promise to move <laughs> off of this topic. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm actually going to use it to get into our next topic. I kind of feel like Treebeard would be able to understand him on the same level that Rocket does. I'm sure. I mean, he's a tree after all, so... Now, here's the deal, though. Which version of Groot shows up? Full-grown Groot, baby Groot, or bad boy teenage Groot? I say teenage Groot, but this is a great moment. So, if you could make it reality right now, which version would that be? I'm gonna throw something left field and say Digimon. Okay, so the Groot that 
he's talking to is Digimon. Got it. I feel like Teenage Groot would be probably the most entertaining. Okay. So we've each picked a different reality of this thing that we would like to have happen. With that, and similar to a previous episode's topic conversation, gentlemen, if you could have a video game environment, the reality of that video game, become real life, which video game would you want to experience? Would our bodies inhabiting this follow the same rules for physics and whatnot that it would for the video game character that is populating that series? No, it would be the crappiest monkey's paw version where you'd be in this <laughs> cool universe. Like, you choose something like Dragon Ball Fighter Z, but you have your own human abilities. <laughs> it would just. Oh, God. Suck so bad. Do you know how embarrassing it would be to not even be able to defeat Hercule <laughs> Satan? Well, he is the strongest human aside from our bald man. False. False. Krillin's probably the strongest human. I think Krillin has some unique genes, and if we follow his history line, there's like... We would find out that Emperor Palpatine was his grandfather? Maybe, because it was a long, long time ago. In a galaxy far, far away from here. On another place called Earth, conveniently. Yarth. Oh, I'm sorry. Yarth. Spelled the same, pronounced different. It could happen. That's going back to the Rock the Dragon dub right there. You're welcome, nostalgic fans. So, what video game environment would you love to experience? Okay, well, for real, if we don't have the same physics as the character would, then it kind of nixes the one I would have chosen. No, no, no. I just like, what video game environment would you like to experience? Oh, man. Part of me wants to say, like, Sonic the Hedgehog. Because, you know, it's full of springs and, like, things that make you go faster. Like those little kind of spinny platforms that make you go quick. But then there are, like, spike pits everywhere. And they are unforgiving. One tumble, all your rings gone. Second tumble, dead. Sometimes you don't even catch a ring. So you're not sure if that's actually the one you'd like. Or is it the death part that makes you nervous? Well, death in any game would make me nervous, because I think about every single video game has some version of death in it. But, like, you knew you respawned? Would you be as nervous about it? I mean, I guess not, especially, like, in Borderlands, because you can basically respond as long as you have money. And you're getting money all the time. But that's also kind of a crummy world to be in. So, huh. That's a really interesting question. I honestly, I'm kind of lost. Manny, what about you? Oh, that's a simple one. I would go with Minecraft. Because, yes, you do trade in a lot of depth and detail. But in exchange, any given character in Minecraft can pretty much carry as much as they want. For example, let's get a little game theory in on this one. The breakdown is based off of how many inventory slots you have and how much of that you can pack on. You can 
essentially carry 97,941,957.12 pounds worth of gold. And not be encumbered in the least. My god, someone mathed that? Yes, it is. Somebody mathed that out, didn't they? Just so I am understanding how they did this process. Are there bags that they're putting these objects into to increase total slot size? Oh man, you know, that doesn't even fully crunch those numbers, but we're going to go with this because I'm just looking at this one bit of article. But what it is, is they took the actual real life weight of gold. And in the game, you can craft together a block of solid gold, which is one cubic meter. That is a large brick of gold. One cubic meter of gold. So yes, one cubic meter of gold. But when you take that block and carry it in your inventory, you can carry a stack of 64 of those in one inventory slot. So 64 cubic meters of gold in one slot. You have 36 of these slots. In your pockets. Those are the best cargo pants, and I would love to get my hands on them. So, listeners, before any of you closet Minecraft fans out there try and point out that there are also shulker boxes which can hold 36 item slots each, and those only take up one inventory slot, I promise I'll come up with it some other time when I bring up how awesome having the strength of Minecraft Steve is. But for now, let's keep it at non-Shulkerbox stuff. Yes, you could have 36 times 64 cubic meters of gold in your pockets and move as if you had nothing in them at all. Dear God. And we can get the actual weight of a cubic meter of gold via the generic internet. That is a whole ton of weight, and I would love to first have that many gold bricks on my persons, but also to run around at normal speed with them. If you want to break it down further from the number I gave earlier, the almost 98 million pounds, a single cubic meter of gold would weigh 42,509.3 pounds. Sorry, 0.53 pounds. I don't think at that weight, the plus or minus five pounds is going to be the breaking point yeah but when you multiply that one block times 64 times 36 you get 2304 of these blocks it starts to add up that's right link move over you're not the only strong boy anymore the one that i would like is the side scroll environment of say the second Zelda game or most of the original Mario Brothers, a lot of... Actually, no, let's make it the Contra. I'm going to get specific because Contra is a side scroll, but it also has that cool moment where you're, like, you're running forward. The reason I want that environment is because if I have a rock, I can break those random floaty balloon football-shaped things and score myself some kick-ass cool weapons to do I don't know what. Probably shoot some bad guys that somehow built themselves on a clip face that I happened to run past. The reason I ask this question to you gentlemen is 
we are getting to a point in our video game environment that we're close to the real thing of the VR suit, immersive virtual reality, and other formats of using the video game environment or created reality environments, similar to Ready Player One and what seems to be what is also provided in the book that is out for Ready Player Two. And because I asked you, like, the twisting of realities and what kind of thing you would want your world to be if it could be a quiz from online, I think that gets to the heart of this specific topic of, like, creating your own reality. The VR suit allows you to create your own reality, and I think that would be a really super awesome thing to have, but I also see that it could be super dangerous, and I would love to hear a little bit of your thoughts on this. I think the technology is getting along pretty well. It's definitely come away from giving people surround sound, sound spaces, and blue and red cardboard and cellophane glasses to becoming a bit more of a tangible-looking environment. I mean, even if you go back to the virtual boy with its like multiple planes of display down to the 3ds with its stereoscopic 3d 3d televisions it's advancing it's just not quite there yet i'd give it another 15 years it's definitely progressing and i really like that you brought up the virtual boy because i think over the generations, the video game console industry, there's always been one company that's been like a little bit cutting edge and they do something that's really awesome and ahead of its time. The Virtual Boy, way ahead of its time. When did that come out? Late 90s? Yeah, sometime around then. Maybe 97, I want to say. That was so ahead of its time. You've got the Sega Saturn and I think the Sega CD. Come with me to yesteryear, the year of 1995. The month. August. The day. The 14th. That was so long ago. I remember playing that. I got myself some great times playing that tennis. Also, definitely hurt my eyes. Yeah, I never owned a Virtual Boy, but all the experience I had with people I knew that had them left me unimpressed and normally feeling a monicum of motion sickness and a headache. Can totally get behind that. I think there were a lot of problems with it. But you look at how long it took for the next batch of VR to kind of hit the market. There was a large gap. To Nintendo's credit, it seems like they're always working on something several years before other people are working on it. If you look at the Wii when it came out, it was pretty much the first official entire console where its base mechanic was built around motion control. They had dabbled with motion controls before with like the power glove and the... It's so bad. <laughs> yeah, it was so bad. With the rolling rocker also... 
kind of dealt with motion control. I think that was a third party thing, but I know what you're talking about. Oh, was it a third party? Nintendo's always kind of been dabbling in a little bit. When the Wii came out, it was kind of the full realization of that first step to motion controls. And then once Microsoft and Sony saw how many Wiis were flying off the shelves, they decided to implement their own. That market share, is that for me? Right. (laughs) Everybody got a Sony or a Microsoft rocking chair. And they sat outside their porches using motion controls to whittle a piece of wood. (laughs) It's just like the real thing. You just look at this save file and see how many whittles I whittled? I got (laughs) thousands of them. Sucking on NVIDIA brand corncob pipe. (laughs) Just... Well, I'll tell you what. (laughs) But yeah, so then Sony brought out PlayStation Move and Xbox brought out the Xbox Connect, which had some success, but not near as much success as Nintendo had with motion controls. I don't think Nintendo necessarily reinvented the wheel with the Wii because the motion problems were very present. I mean, Sega had a few motion peripherals. That uh, kind of control pad that would be, I think it was intended for fighting games that had sensors that would read whenever you'd extend a limb past a sensor. So you could do like fighting games and you were supposed to punch with them. Nintendo had something similar. I think that was one of the things I was trying to think of earlier. I think it was just called the power pad. The power pad was the... The one with the track and field game? Yeah, it was the first version of Dance Dance Revolution pads, or whatever the knockoffs are. It looked like a twister pad. Except it was all blue and red squares, I think, or circles. The Sega Activator is what I'm looking at. Maybe it's the U-Force or something. I can't remember. Sorry, Mike, you were hurting us somewhere. I like where you guys are going with this. I'm interested to see what the next technology is that helps boost the evolution to proper immersive VR experiences and 3D experiences in not just the gaming world, but immersive movies, tying us back kind of to the world that is Ready Player One. Our sci-fi systems and ideas connect to and help evolve actual technology, and then actual technology feeds back into our sci-fi experience and the stories and things that they create. Since we're heading in that direction, if I could just go ahead and drop in that article that I came across from a couple of months ago. They had interviewed Gabe Newell, and he was talking about a piece of technology that Valve was doing research on that involved working with reading your brain's impulses to adjust a gaming experience through those impulses. And that was the first step. So in short, it was maybe you're giving off signals that you're bored during a section of the game. So it would either make it more difficult, or if it's reading that you're too frustrated, it would make it easier for you, just to kind of tailor your experience and have you enjoy it more. So that was step one of it. Step two was 
he was also considering the ability of that technology to feed and stimulate parts of your brain. And his example of one of the first things he wanted to try was a way of stimulating your brain into getting sleep. So you could tell the program, hey, I need to sleep for this long and I need this much REM sleep. And it would basically stimulate the correct parts of your brain to tell your body, hey, now shut down. You're going to shut down for this long and you're going to enjoy it. <laughs> you're going to enjoy it. That's the last part that's the kicker. If it doesn't tell you you're going to enjoy it, you are clearly just punishing yourself. There are plus sides and downsides, and I guess that's what we can talk about later. But I think that synergizing technology like that with VR and motion controls could probably provide that very immersive and, I guess, all surrounding experience that we're talking about. I am now very interested to have a conversation about some of the ideas that you brought up per that article. I think that it's awesome enough that the world needs it, but just dangerous enough that I'm worried it would get abused. But that is like all things. Moderation is the best way to approach something like that and a lot of things in life. Going to excess is never good. I guess if we're riding off into the sunset, let me pose a question to our listeners. On Mike's 30-acre ranch. Heck yes. Going back to Minecraft listeners, how would you use the ability to carry 2,644,432,842.2 pounds on your body, without being the slightest bit encumbered. My question to you is, if the abilities and reality of Ready Player One were to exist right now, and you could get yourself the best VR suit, what would be the first game you went and played in that first-person view? My question to you this week will be, uh, which motion control device from any video game platform do you feel like you had the most success with? Ladies and gentlemen, always remember to enjoy this show and share it with anyone else who might enjoy it. Don't forget any feedback or any questions you might have for our social. We'd always love to pretend that we know the answer to. Ask me a question. I'll give you the best mic fact I've got that has just reached its ripe age of nine weeks. And even though it seems perfectly fine to be in VR, in real life, remember, don't be on fire. Don't be on fire. Oh, and also, wear a mask, don't touch your face, wash your hands. Please slap some funnies on our Banter BanterCast Facebook page. Or share Mike Facts with us on Twitter at Banter underscore cast or individually at Brogar, C-R-E, for Manny. You can find me on Twitter at Mike8Time, the number eight. 
You can find Aaron at 8BitWizard. The 8 is Roman numerical. The podcast cover art is brought to us by at Easy Louisi, based off of original art by at Bobbin underscore Goblins. And last but not least, the intro and outro to this episode is the most mysterious song on the internet. Get into your mystery machine and help us find out who created this magic.